Welcome to this week's Market Commentator Podcast, MoneyWeb's series of interviews with investment professionals. No stranger to the MoneyWeb community, David Shapiro, Deputy Chairman of Sassman Securities, joins us this week. David, thanks for your time today. Let's kick off by starting with the fund that you manage for Sassman. Tell us about the mandate of that fund. It's... uh over the 10 years that I've been managing it, we changed our mandate quite a few times, or we haven't changed it. It has been changed. It originally started, I always, it started life as a infrastructure fund. When I say that, I started it in 2005, uh, wanting to take advantage of what I saw massive opportunities uh, in infrastructural development. But as the years went by and as uh, we started to slow down on that, um, I began to change the mandate to a general fund. Um, I never intended, I always, I always wanted a specialist fund because most of my business is actually managing, uh, you know, most of my business is actually managing private wealth, mm. uh, private clients. But I did see an opportunity and uh, that, that seemed to be the only convenient uh, vehicle that I could find. And, and it's not a big fund. It's been a very small fund. But you know, having changed the direction, we've, we've done pretty well. We got the, I got the Raging Bull a couple of years ago, even though, you know, as a value fund um, and also as a best general equity fund. And then uh, at the end of 2014, so in 2012 I got that for my three-year performance and then uh, for 2014 got a full five-year performance for risk adjusted. But even in pure returns, the returns are very strong, over 22%. Um, I've a, had a few months here where I haven't been quite sure where markets uh, are going and now I'm beginning to change uh, the composure or the composition of the, um, you know, of the portfolio, a little more certain um, of of where we should be, and um, beginning just to make a few changes now and 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 alter the uh, the stocks that I own, and also uh, you know where we where we hit it. Look, it's a it's a it's a very open um, mandate. It's, yeah. a, it's an equity fund, you know, so it allows you to do what you like. Uh, but it's small, and therefore, uh, but but um, Hannah, one thing, even though my fund is small, um, I, I run it as though it was a big fund, mainly because it also represents where where I put clients' money in. So it's scalable. You know, I don't run it as a because it's small. Therefore, go for uh, mm. you know small companies mm. or go for you know all the companies that we own are large caps, and therefore. I could easily double, triple, quadruple the size without any kind of problems at all. Let's talk about those large caps. And this is, of course, the Sassfin Met Equity Fund that yep. we're discussing. What stocks are you f- sort of favoring at the moment, David? Look, we're, we're, we're quite high conviction. I've always been high conviction. So I like to say, listen, I, these are the top 20 shares that I like, and I'm going to split them equally. You know, sometimes it upsets people because they want pro- proper processes. Uh, but, you know, I, I like to look at uh, a number of businesses and say, okay, if I like them, I buy them. Mm. You know, I don't like to buy them in different proportions. Um, so from that point of view, I've got, uh, um, you know, understand what we do. We've, we've probably got 18 to 20 stocks in at the moment, and each one would be around about 4 or 5%. So they, they top, they're all the top uh, companies. Um, you know, Aspen, Bulletin, British American Tobacco, Bidvest, Richemont. I've got a few trackers in because I haven't, I could take it offshore, but I've just, it's, it's too much, you know, in a small fund like mine, uh, to go offshore is just too much stress. 
and too much hard work. So I bought trackers. I bought the EU FTSE and uh, USA trackers. And then I've got some big, you know, Discovery, famous brands, first brand, and so on. What I am doing at the moment, I'm, I'm quite concerned about the South African market. You know, not, not about our offshore exposure, but local exposure. And I think a lot of the companies are not bringing out, they're bringing out good results under the circumstances, but not good enough to justify where they should be. And therefore, where there's better value overseas, I start to worry about whether we can hold our course here. And you know, a lot of businesses like Life, for example, came back. Yes, there's justification why the results weren't that good. Um, MTN, Vodacom, companies like that are, are beginning to worry me in terms of valuation and worrying me as to where they're going to be. I like Vodacom and MTN for dividend purposes. They're giving you a nice uh, return, and they, they, they justify holding them simply for that purpose. But I can't see the same kind of attraction as when I, as when I first bought them. So, so Dave, you know, Dave, mm-hmm. David, would you say that your concern is more with stocks that are exposed to South Africa's economy than it is mm. with the kind of rhetoric or discussion we're hearing around the market being expensive and worrying that we're in for a correction because certain stocks are shooting the lights out? Is your concern more, uh, more around the economy? We're not going to get a correction. Uh, what I mean by it's not going to be a big sell-off. But it goes nowhere, you know, just plod sideways. Mm. And you just go in, you know, I, where, where do you think Bulletin's going to go? You know, I'll ask you, where's Bulletin? Why are we buying Bulletin? Why are we buying Sassel? Why are we buying Anglos or any of the I would love to companies? know. You know <laughs> Why are you buying Bulletin? You know, I'm not. <laughs> what, the point I'm making, everybody buys it because they're trying to second guess where the commodity cycle is. Yeah. You know, where commodity price? Why would you buy Sassel at these levels? A great company. I have absolutely no issues with management. But when Sassel was, when the oil price was at 100, 110, 120, they had very good uh, uh, expansion projects. Mm. They were expanding, you know, they had a huge capital expenditure program. Suddenly, oil 60, everything's changed. Now they say, oi, we can't do that. We can't do this. We've got to cut back here. So the whole. Approach has changed. Mm. Not a bad company, but they can't do what they could do when oil was 110. And I think the same thing applies to Anglos and to Bulletin. When, when the iron ore price was double the price, uh, the way they approached business is completely different. And more and more suppliers coming, and it's unlikely that we're going to see prices up. So you look around and you say, why are we holding Bulletin? You know, and um, Hannah, one of the Big difficulties here is that we live in a culture that was weaned, that was brought up on mining. Mm. You know, and if you, that's why we still have gold bulls here, and we still have platinum bulls, and you know, people continue to hold on to these stocks because it's just so much. It's entrenched in their DNA, and if you sell them, you know, you 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 raise all kinds of hell. You know, why are you selling my sassel? You know, why are you selling my bulletin? You say, well, it's just not the well, Why Anglo's? So, well, you know, Anglo's are not the same kind of Anglo's you knew when the Oppenheimers were running them, you know, where they yeah. ran the economy. Today, Anglo's is, I don't know, number 10, 12 on the, on the picking order here. You know, it's way down there. It doesn't even make the top 10. It's about as, it's smaller than first rand. It's the same size as Steinhoff. Can you believe it? Wow. Anglo-American equals Steinhoff. 
so uh, that's you know that's that's what you you have to get through um, you know when you when you try and change portfolios like this. So, um, but I but I am questioning it. More broadly, David, what is driving the JSC and what's going to see it either continue its upward thrust or, as you say, sort of plod sideways? I I sit in meetings all the time and it's the, I think it was Bill Gross who, uh, who coined the phrase. He said, you know, it's the best, it's the cleanest dirty shirt. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the cleanest dirty shirt. So yeah. what we do is we sit and we try to figure out what's okay. In fact, I've, I've been in a discussion where there's been a suggestion by some of these miners because the downside has been pitched. They can't go down further. I say, is that why we're buying them? Because they're giving us risk protection on the downside. Not, so I, I don't like companies like that. I like to know, I like to buy companies where management is trying to grow the top line. You know, they're trying all the time to find new ways of growing the top line. That's why I'm a little nervous of banks, uh, because in an economy that's growing 2%, eventually it has to hurt somewhere. People won't pay back. Now, first of all, they're not going to borrow. Secondly, if they do borrow, they're probably borrowing to eat, not to expand their businesses, and mm. then somewhere they're going to find problems with that. So then they try to cut costs or they start uh increasing fees here and there in order to grow top line, but there's no dynamism behind it. And your first and rand holding, is that? Very, no, I've done very, very well, and I think the bank does, you know, is doing it incredibly well. But it's, it's, it's grabbing market share from, from everybody else, you know. Mm. It's not, and I, I, it's not a criticism, you know, so I don't, you, don't, you don't want management to get all upset. I'm saying what are you doing is, is, is it's not, you, we're not operating in an economy that's, that's running away, that's doing things. But you see, there are companies like Aspen, you know, Stephen Sard all the time looking for new deals, you mm. know what I mean? Um, even a, a, a Bidvest, a Richmond, a Discovery, famous brands, which companies I have, Nasplace, you know, they're always looking. And they're also operating in areas that are growing and doing well. You know, China's growing at, what, 6 7%. India's going to grow at 8%. All those countries underneath there are mm. in Asia are growing, so you've got an expanding market. You know, Europe's trying to grow, America's trying to grow, so there's 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 markets that are that are strong, and you want to go into companies that are going to operate or benefit from that. When I look at Africa, you know, when I look at call it the southern hemisphere for want of a better word, you know, Australia battling along because of falling commodity prices, the whole of Africa battling. You know, uh, um, we know that, that Nigeria is having issues with oil. Uh, we know that Angola is having big issues because the oil price has fallen. They can't get money out. So, and Africa sells goods. You know, it sells materials, sorry. It sells raw materials. Does, that, does so, this mean that exposure to offshore mm-hmm. companies that have offshore investments is the way for investors to go? South African investors. That's, mm. that's my thinking. Mm. You know, if if uh, what I'm saying to you is is, is no secret, I've been, I say it all the time. I say when people ask me what's your asset allocation, I say 100% offshore, and the reason is that because there are there far better companies. You know, if you look at a company like um, L'Oreal, for example, 
<laughs> they spend three and a half percent of their revenue goes back into R&D, research and development, which they're looking for new products, new products for the Chinese market, you know, new products for the South American market. Mm. It's Garnier, it's L'Oreal, it's uh, Lancome, it's, you know, and they're going into markets expanding all the, we, we don't have companies like that. Mm. Um, Allianz, Daimler, Roche, Novartis, you know, pharmaceutical companies. Yes, we've got Aspen. Yeah, you've got Nestle, constantly upgrading its brand, you know, always looking for new ways to make money, uh, and so on. Even even Airbus I like. Why? Because if you want to buy a new Airbus, you've got to wait five years, six years. Mm. So you can't afford not to put your order in. Because <laughs> if, if, even, you know, even though the oil price is down, uh, they're coming out with aircraft, first the Chinese and the Asian, you know, in fact, there's a wonderful uh, uh, luxury goods are 30, 40, 50% cheaper in Europe than they are in China. So what happens? Chinese travel. <laughs> they wow. get the bags and they go and buy all the luxury goods, you know, and, they lo- and also they're becoming wealthier. They're going to see the world. So air travel is exploding and there's only two aircraft that you can travel on, a Boeing or an Airbus. So the list is, is, you know, there's a huge waiting list. Mm. And eventually these companies are going to, uh, the benefits will come through. Um, you know, Airbus is like 30, 40% up this year already. And, you know, they have issues like uh, their military aircraft uh, <laughs> had problems and yeah. it affects the share price. But, um, Hannah, you get the point. You know, these yes. are businesses which are growing yeah. in 15, 20% per annum. We're not getting that here. You know, that- we're not. We're not, we, we haven't got, we, we're a service organized company. We, we sell metals and we kind of service. We, we've lost that dynamism. We used to have it. We haven't got it anymore. Let's talk about what's going to then drive the JSC going forward. David, you joined the stock market in 1972. Mm. That's more than 40 mm. years ago. What do you predict or suggest? Your parents weren't even married then. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. They weren't. That's, um, what do you predict or suggest then might drive the JSC's change and development over the next 40 years? The, the, big, the reason that we're doing what we're doing is because of big companies like uh, our offshore businesses. You know, 20, I think even 20 years ago, the top 10 companies were all mining companies, and they only accounted for maybe 25% of the JSE. Today, your top 10 companies are all offshore businesses mm. uh, that, that are operating offshore, and that's why we are where we are. Mm. And they make up well over 50, 60% of the JSE. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so the re- if you get a Steinhoff or a British American Tobacco Breweries, Naspers, I'm giving you Richmond, uh, even MTN is 50% uh, Nigeria. Um, so when you get companies like that uh, on the market, Aspen, who else is going? Uh, uh, Bidvest, Mondi, um, MediClinic. You know, MediClinic, six, uh, what's it, 65% outside of our country. So, so many of the, those are all the top businesses, you know, within the top 20, 30 shares. And because of that, uh, the JSE plugs forward. If we take away those businesses, you know, in other words, the JSE uh, that we know, uh, you know, Mickey Newton King's JSE. Without these offshore businesses, we wouldn't exist. 
Retail you know, hedge funds. Let's move on to retail hedge what's funds. What's a retail hedge fund? <laughs> <laughs> well, as of the 1st of April, hedge funds are now regulated mm, under the Collective mm, Investment mm. Schemes Control Act. That's Cisco. So in a similar way to unit trusts, they can be offered yeah, to retail so, investors mm. as long as they meet certain criteria. Yeah. When might a retail investor want to include a hedge fund I, in their you, portfolio? Do your home. You see, the hardest thing is to do your home with. And the problem, because hedge funds, it depends on their mandates, you know, the mandates of the hedge funds. I've got nothing against hedge funds. You know, I think they, uh, um, number one, they tend to be trading funds. Hmm. Um, and one can see it's, it's, it's not difficult. Uh, honestly, it's not difficult to trade and, and, and to be a hedge fund. The beauty about hedge funds is that they're not long only. In other words, they can go short. As, as, as well, and therefore uh, uh, protect your downside. Hedge funds today, as we know them, are far different from the hedge funds that were started originally by an Australian whose name just leaves me for the meantime. And his whole reason was to take what he called the uh, uh, you know the beta out of the market. In other words, only get what the alpha. In other words, he used to protect himself by by. You know, by, by going short of a few stocks and, and long. And this way, you took the volatility out of the market. Mm. But we've changed to a point now where hedge funds suggest that your returns are going to be uh, uh, a lot better than you can get, um, you know, on the market. So it depends on, on, on what they do. But generally, hedge funds were, gen- were exactly that. They were there, you know, to ensure that, uh, that you were hedged. Yes, absolutely. You know, against, hedged against market volatility. I think that was Alfred Winslow Jones is that's the chap. It. Alfred Winslow, he was an Australian, up, yeah. He came up with he hedge came, funds. Yeah, that's it. And, and if you look at that, uh, you know, if you look at his concept of what a hedge fund was, and where they are today is completely different. So if you want a trading fund, that's a different story. So to understand what you buy. Do your you know, homework. Understand what they do. Absolutely. Do, do your homework, understand. Also, there was a 2 and 20 rule, which still a lot of fund managers apply. And the 2 and 20 rule was you pay 2% up front and they take 20% of the profits. Yes. So I think you also have to be careful of what your net returns are. You know, don't let them, what they can do is publish the, the gross returns, but what you get is completely different. So, um, do you, you know, just, just before you go blindly into what a hedge fund is, try and understand what they do, understand the track record of the people who are running it. Very, very important. Finally, but David. There's shrewd, there's shrewd people here. You know, don't, I mean, there's some very, very shrewd people around here. To, to, to put your money with, you mean? Yeah, yes. yeah, but also I'm not a I'm I'm a I don't like keeping my money for a long time with people. You know, I don't want to say, yeah, I want out and then six months later they pay me back. You know, the mm-hmm. one thing that I value very highly is liquidity. So if I want out the market today, I'm gone. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 consider that as well. So don't tie yourself up. No, you know, don't tie yourself up. Returns. Some suggest we're unlikely to see the same returns over the next few decades as we have seen in the last. What advice would you give, David, to someone like me who's just beginning to invest on the exchange or in unit trusts and beginning to build their wealth base in these volatile times? You don't need to be clever. Honestly, we try to confuse you and we try to be clever, but you don't have to be. You know what a good company is. Why? Because you've been on the radio, you're doing it every day, you're reading. So you're easily able to distinguish what what, what uh, makes up a good company and what doesn't. 
you know, you know, if you look at SA breweries, you know what they've delivered consistently over the last decade plus, mm -hmm. you know, and so on. Even a Richmond, which is a luxury goods company, I mean, their track record is superb. So all you have to do as a young person is buy yourself a portfolio of quality companies. Of course, you have to keep monitoring them because MTN a few years ago is not MTN today or Anglos of yesteryear is not what it is today. But when, when they start changing, then you, you, then you switch to something else. So if Sassel, if the oil price falls, yeah, Sassel at $100 barrel is not the same as Sassel at $60, even though management is very good. So somewhere along the line, you have to keep up. Find the good but and the growing companies. Just find quality companies. But you can't just uh, don't ever follow the, uh, the rule of putting it in the bottom drawer. That doesn't work. Every day you've got to say, is the reason that uh, I bought the company still valid? Uh, is it still a good company? There we go. That is David Shapiro, mm -hmm. Deputy Chairman of Sassman Securities.